Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 189, The Dark Side, recorded April 19th, 2015, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel, and joining me this week, as always, are your two stalwart co-hosts, Chris, the Command Line Godfather Neves, and Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson. Hello, gentlemen. How goes it today? Everybody out there in internet land, I hope you're having a good one. Yes, and maybe don't go to the dark side regardless of what kind of cookies they have, but welcome one and all. We love you all. So this topic, uh, the title and the topic this week is is about the uh, some maybe the unintended consequences, the 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 dark side of our techno lust and our desire to have things uh, cheaper uh, and better and replaced periodically. But I can't let that title go without mentioning the Force Awakens teaser trailer that came out this week. Have Have you guys watched it? I missed it. I have not. Oh, okay. We we need to stop the show right now. Go Google it. Um, the last three words of the trailer, I'm not joking here, made me tear up just a little bit. It really did. So check it out. The Force Awakens trailer, um, it's just 30 seconds, I think, uh, and it lets you know the basic backstory that this is going to be Luke training his kids in the way of the Force. Um, and it's just, I'm super excited about it. I, 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 I know J.J. Lensflare is in charge, and that bothers me a little bit. Um, but maybe he's as big a fan as I am. Uh, the problem is, you know, Star Wars is not just, it's not just an entertainment. It's not just a, a movie franchise. For an entire generation, this, this is an amalgam of their childhood. This is everything they loved and right. poured their, their money into and their attention onto. And, and for many geeks, right, geeks tend to be obsessive about one thing. This is their one thing. And it started for me. When I was five years old, 1977 was when the first movie came out. I was five years old, and and that obsession began, you know, collecting the figures and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> and if J.J. Lensflair messes with that, I'm not sure he will be physically safe in this country. He may have to move to South America. He might. If he ruins this franchise. He might. I know well, a I mean, few v- venomous <laughs> Star Wars fans that would probably... If it survived episodes one through three, I don't think he can do anything worse than Jar Jar Binks. Well, that's the thing. George Lucas already decided to just crap on all the fans out there. And he decided... Mm-hmm. He made the mistake of thinking the franchise was still his. It stopped being his after Empire. Yep. Um, he, he was the guy making the movies, but it wasn't his franchise. And he finally, he's let go of it and handed it over to Disney... Which is a little scary, right? But also Disney is Marvel, and they've been doing a great job, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so I'm 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 less worried about that. But uh, you know, I frankly I'm glad to get it out of Lucas's hands because he he clearly gave up a long time ago. Yeah, and and with Jar Jar, he said no care, and and he just right. He, it was all about the tech. He wanted to drive tech forward. That's what Lucas has done all along, um, which is great, but. At some point, you got to tell a story, and I think one of the what made the original, like particularly the New Hope, so good was there was no budget, and all he had was story. He had bad yep. uh, uh, B list actors that nobody had ever heard of. Sir Alec Guinness, who was uh, you know a superstar a generation before, um, and you know desert locations, and he had no budget, and guys were walking around in white plastic, <laughs> and he had to sell it, and and so he had to focus on story, and it worked. 
And the second one, he could dazzle us with special effects. And also there was the great story there. I'm your father was, you know, the, the quintessential moment of that series. Yeah. It was a Which big is one. why, if you start with episode one, if you start with the Phantom Menace and watch up to there, you get to that moment and it's like, oh, hum, we knew this. We've known this for, for four movies now. I don't care. So it totally sucks the power out of that moment. Yeah. And then the sec- the seventh one, uh, or the sixth one, rather, the the third of the original, we start to see George Lucas careening off course, right? The Yub Nub song. And, and these giant teddy bears and special effects just because. And, and that was that was sort of the harbinger of the things to come. George was just gr- gradually heading off to the right. And the, the world was going, wait, wait, yup, nub. What the heck is that about? But they were cute enough. It worked. Yeah. Well, that was a, t- that was a time when cuteness would rule a movie, though, too. That was you know, that all was, about everyone, merchandise. Everyone had to be a cute piece, you know, like Johnny Five. Yeah, that was good stuff too. But, Ooh, but Stephanie, nice software. <laughs> See, it was cute. <laughs> and then the second one was just well, we won't, we we shall not speak of it. There was a second uh, one. Second what? <laughs> no, I don't know what you're talking about. What I do want to talk about though, <laughs> have either of you watched Daredevil on Netflix? It's in my list of things to watch. It's next, actually. I've and, heard and really course, good you, things. You would have to watch Netflix at work. I've been uh, I've been queuing it for like seven months. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know I had heard good things, positive things. Um, Feige's in control, right? The same guy who's doing all this, the cinematic universe. So I thought I'd give it a try, and I'm just blown away by it. First episode, like scale of ten, ten being the best thing ever, and one being Sharknado. Um, <laughs> it's a solid eight. So what really? you're saying is out, one is super awesome? Is that what yeah. I heard? Okay. Yeah, it comes out swinging. Um, and two, if you're not hooked on the second episode, just stop watching. You're just, you don't, this is not for you. But hmm. the, the, the last, say, 10 minutes of the second episode is some of the best filmmaking I've seen. I'm not kidding. Huh. That's not hyperbole. It is, it's filmmaking, right? It's it's on Netflix, right? And it's a it's an hour show, but this is this is big budget Hollywood style filmmaking. And I'm telling you, in that last ten minutes, it's not all of that last 10, ten minutes, but in that last ten minutes, that action supersedes. They live as the best on screen fight scene ever. Really? Yes. Oh, uh, I don't know. That's a tough. That's a tough pill to swallow. It, it beats it. It beats it. All right. Uh, now it's, I'm going to have to watch it. Maybe I'll watch it tonight, at least the first episode. Um, that I, I have maintained for 20 years now. That was the best on-screen fight scene ever. This is better. Wow. And, and what I love about it is is um, th- there are a few you know wire shots where a guy gets hit and goes flying across. And we have to accept that. That's the Marvel. That's not even Marvel. That's just the world now. Yeah. But for the most part, here's this regular dude fighting other regular dudes and that's what i liked about they live because mm-hmm. dude gets punched and then shakes his hand because it hurts right you don't see that you know bruce lee sort of changed filmmaking uh in the martial arts world he invented the one punch knockout nobody had done that on film before him and now it's it's the theme it's the trope every hero yep. pun- punches out every guy with one punch daredevil doesn't and i love that about it hmm yeah now i'm gonna have to I'm going to have to watch the first episode tonight. Thank you. 
<laughs> I'm trying not to get. I'm putting off the move to the new, um, <laughs> new internet. Yes, as fast as I can because I'm gonna be probably gonna go with the eight meg package, and I just I'm a cheapskate. So, and then because do then it. you know, I mean, what comes is then like you get netflix or prime or both and then you just start it's the little foxes that spoil the vine and the next thing you know your internet charge and all this crap you put on it i mean you know you talk about how it's the big guys taking all the money it's the little guys throwing money away at useless garbage so um but i don't ah because i love the superhero stuff because the comics i outgrew the comics I was sad when I realized that I went to the comic store and looked at them and go, these are not that that's not the Iron Man. I know that's not the Captain America. I know that's not the Thor. I know those aren't the Avengers. Those are kids. <laughs> and uh, so it's just like the movies are though. It's those comics brought to life with enough different that you're not like going. I know what happens here. You know, I mean, it's like so. <laughs> Ah, you just, you're making it hard on me, Mark. Yeah. You're killing so me, Smalls. I've, I haven't had a, uh, an HBO subscription in 12, 13 years. Uh, I had it and there was just nothing on it cared about and I lost it. So I haven't seen Sopranos. I, I know it's out, uh, on other things, but I've never seen it. I haven't seen Game of Thrones. So this hour long, um, subscription only filmmaking thing is not something I've had a lot of experience with. Band of Brothers, I've seen. And it's it's good, and that is that's essentially a twelve hour movie cut right. into twelve one hour segments. Right. That's what Daredevil is. Daredevil is a thirteen hour film, and uh. it's one it's one contiguous story. I haven't seen all of it. Um, Aaron, who used to be on the show, has has, has watched. He binge watched all thirteen episodes in a couple of days. I'm pacing it. Right, so I watched yeah. the first two and told my wife about it and said, "You might want to check this out." And she's she is not big into that sort of stuff, but she enjoys a good movie. Um, and, and so I was at work and she was texting me, she was home, uh, watching daredevil and I would get a text that just said, wow, that'd be the whole text, uh, or ouch, <laughs> or something like that. And I was like, and I knew exactly, oh, you're, you're watching that scene. Yeah, good. I know. Uh, and so now we've, we've sort of made a pact. We've caught up, she's caught up to where I was and we've watched the first four episodes and we've made a pact, no daredevil without each other. Uh, we want to share that experience with go. each other. So it may take us a while to get through it, but I'm okay with that. It doesn't bother me. Uh, you know, if it was on TV, it would take me 13 weeks to get through it or maybe more, right? right. Because there's always a break for this sporting event or that holiday. Uh, so like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I'm really enjoying it. My wife and I are watching that. That's appointment television. Um, and it started weak, got really good, and it now is kind of treading water. Daredevil starts out at where Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. was at its best. In the first episode, um, okay, and it's 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 script writing, it's dialogue, it's lighting. Uh, their lighting director likes yellow. Maybe there's a reason for that, but everything has kind of a yellow cast about it. Hmm. Um, the audio is a character in this, so that's good. Uh, it makes sense to me, uh, and I don't know that other people would notice it, but you know, you're dealing with a blind guy. Audio is an important way he deals with the world. So the foley work. Um, there's a scene that no spoilers. There's a scene where there are a couple of guys, uh, a couple of people, uh, guys and girls sitting around a table and there's a waiter pouring wine. The wine pour is way too loud. 
Uh, and that's common in movies. You always, often the bug crawling across the screen or the, the click of the heel on the thing is too loud. That's a, that's part of what makes the movie an immersive experience. Right. Foley artists really work on that. That kind of work mm-hmm. went into this one-hour Netflix show. Uh, and so it's all the great craft of making film cool. in this, what you might consider a throwaway. You know, it's not on a major network. It's just available on Netflix. But it's that kind of quality that's blown me away. Yeah. I'm it's, def- a, it's a film buff thing to watch darn you mark now i have another movie now i have something else to watch girl I'm, I'm sort of the perfect audience because i don't know daredevil i was never a fan i didn't know his backstory i don't know if they're deviating from source material i have no i'm an unsullied um in a, a canvas on which to paint uh so if you're a big daredevil fan maybe you're going to find things about it you don't like but i've seen like two negative reviews and both of them were just picking on things like uh, one of them was I don't really like origin stories okay so what this is this a good origin story or not uh, so mm-hmm. oftentimes you see reviews online like that well you know I don't I don't eat hamburgers so this this burger joint is a terrible place to go one star um, and that's the kind of reviews that's the kind of bad reviews I've seen about Daredevil everything else has been solid so cool. I didn't mean to gush really I was just going to mention it but I'm, <laughs> I'm yeah, gushing because it, it's, it's that okay. good it's okay you can gush we won't mind um. Yeah, I'm gonna let my wife know we're watching Daredevil with it when she gets back from the grocery store tonight. <laughs> not for the kids, unless your kids are way accustomed to to more violent things. Not for the kids. Like how how not for the kids? Like blood and guts and gore or yeah, adult situations. Um, there, there's a little side boob in the first episode. Okay. Um. You know, it is it is strong PG thirteen. Um, there's a, there's a few, uh, words, you know, you're not going to hear on television, but lots of significant adult situations, lots of violence. I mean, it's a vigilante movie, right? right. Uh, it's, uh, it is Batman begins. If you let your kids watch Batman begins, then you're probably going to be okay with this. Okay. Um, but I didn't, maybe not for the six year old, maybe for the 13 year old. Yeah. The 13 year old, probably depending on his, my, my, my 12 year old, no, but other kids I know, other 13, 12 and 13-year-olds, it just kind of depends on their tolerance level. My 12-year-old would be curled up in a fetal position bawling if I let her watch this. Uh, well, my son would be like, oh, how can I do that in class? But, but I mean, they, they, you, you care about this character, and then he gets the crap beat out of it. Right. Um, that's not a spoiler. That's just Daredevil. Uh, throughout throughout comic history, he's kind of been the guy who's got, taken the beating, uh, both metaphorically and literally. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, that they do, they craft that really well. They give you several minutes to really care about him and 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 be on his side before he goes into his first battle and a ninja hits him in the face. Not a real ninja, but so you know you gotta if you're emotionally can handle that. And my daughter couldn't, but maybe your son could. Yeah, he'll be all right with it then. All right. Yeah. All right. Um, I'm, moving I I'm going to. <laughs> right along. Seth, what what are you binge reading? I've been binge watching or trying not to binge watch. Uh, tell me about Live Free or Die. Um, well, it's a John Ringo uh, part of the, uh, what is it called? Troy Rising series. I don't remember the series name, but the first book is Live Free or Die. And I like John Ringo. He is a great author for about three books. And then come the fourth book. It's like he's some, it's like he doesn't know when to quit and the fourth book proves it. So this was a three book series that is, um, it, it's apparently finished. And I just, fi- I read the first book. I finished up reading an alternative history book that was, uh, awesome. It was called Bring the Jubilee. It was about if the South had won the Civil War. I finished that book about 
I don't know, nine o'clock Saturday night. And then, um, from about nine 30 till almost five this morning, I was reading this book and I finished it up after church was over. Uh, awesome book, live for your die. It is, um, it's kind of a first contact, um, aliens find earth. The first ones are kind of these, uh, peaceful trading partners, but you know, it would be like America finding, I don't know, Aborigines, you don't really, there, there's nothing of value really. Uh, but come to find out there is one thing we have that they want. And then this other, uh, ship comes through and it's a warship saying, we own you, give us everything of value now. And, uh, mm. and then this one guy comes up with a plan to, uh, kick them out and of course defend the world and save the planet. So I just finished the first book. It was really, really good. I am thinking about maybe holding off on, well, I'll probably, I know I'll, they forget it. I know I have all three of them read before my trip. So, uh, <laughs> I was thinking, you know, it would be great. You don't, you don't want something to read on the plane? <laughs> no, I do. That's how come I bought about eight books, uh, my last order. I bought this series, a couple of standalones and a couple of book ones of series. So I can, if I, I didn't want to invest in those series because I didn't know the authors, but I know John Ringo and I'll read pretty much at least the first book of anything he writes. And, um, so I bought these other two because they look promising. And if I like them, I'll then invest in those series. And, you know, maybe, uh, I don't know. I might take one or both of those books on the trip because they, they look promising. But like I say, I don't know those authors. I'll have this read. I'm leaving next Wednesday morning. I'll have these two book read, these two books read maybe by this Wednesday morning. I don't know. Well, Seth, I got to say, um, again, because you talk about it all the time, I uh, chose to read the second Honor Harrington book, right? And it does. It did. It, it's better. It grew on me. Mm. Um, still, I think I'm going to stop there. Um, it just it's not ringing my bell. But I did want to give you some props. This is not another King Vitamin. You act, there actually was some material that was pretty solid in that one. It just it's just not for me. And I know there's like 27 books in the Honorverse, and I love I love being able to grab things like that where there's where there's lots of them because it you know it sets my reading or in my case listening uh for months down the road but uh i'm just not going to go there with the honorverse i've been right now on a hard history uh doing lots of i just finished a book a 22 hour book on the fall of the roman empire wow uh interesting but dry right Um, and you know and sometimes you things sometimes something can be both boring and interesting at the same time right so the delivery is pretty boring the information i found fascinating learning that about the different kinds of gauls and goths and huns and and that it wasn't just one group and and it was fascinating but uh starting tomorrow morning i'm queuing up ready player one because i needed something light (laughs) after almost two months of civil war roman history huns um um uh I read two books on Genghis Khan. Uh, I'm ready to step out of that now and go into the world of Ready Player One. Uh, so I'm yeah. excited about that. Ready Player One is worth every second. It gets a little dull towards the yeah, three quarters, but then it it picks back up. So I loved it. And I even Mark, have the I even I even have the hard or the not the hardback but the paperback. So not only do I have the audio the audible version of it, but I also have the paperback. So yum, great book. I, I will say, one, or go ahead, Chris. Go ahead, Seth. No, I was uh, going to say, read the third book because it gets it's better okay. than the second. If you don't like it, I'll pay for it. Okay, there you if, go. If, if you don't like the third book, I'll pay for it. But the the first they get better 
up through about to me in book five and then from about five to i don't know nine or ten they kind of they keep really good and then it just it becomes too unwieldy at that point there's you know you kind of lose the individual story and it becomes this whole galaxy spanning thing but read the third See, one. for the first is it is it political for the most part i don't really enjoy the political sort of stuff and this there's there's a whole lot of politics in these and that's what's turning me off yeah it's um the third one is i mean when honor's killing guys with one punch <laughs> that i'm enjoying right but when she's talking about admiral lord uh garage general this and high admiral that and and lord this it, it just like yeah. well the third book <laughs> starts the actual war so it, it's not like these little skirmish it's like there's the war starts between okay. the, the two powers so it i mean you know, of course there's, there's still politics alert. but um <laughs> but it it becomes an actual war at that point so yeah okay so I was well, we like some... 25 minutes talking about uh, everything but computers. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I was bringing up books and stuff. Come on. We're all right. But I do want to take this opportunity to say, if you want to be an Audible guy, if you've never done it, uh, elementop.com slash Audible, you get a free book. I get a few bucks. Uh, it's, it's a no-lose situation. Basically, you're signing up for the $15 a month plan, which is one book a month. Um, but sign up for it. Get the book. Cancel it. You never pay a penny. If you like it, sign up later again. You know, I, 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 I don't. I'm fine with that. I think Audible's fine with that. Um, so you know, that's a way to do it. Uh, t- their fifteen dollar a month uh, plan is one book. Their twenty dollar a month plan is two books. That's the one I use. Yep. Uh, two two credits a month. It's not enough for me. I end up buying extra credits because uh, you know, again, I've said before, audiobooks got me back into reading. I had lost the joy of story because I hate reading. I don't like the physical act of reading. Um, but I love immersing myself in a good story and audible brought back that love. And I'm, you know, after two years, I'm like 60 something books in. I'm just crank cranking through them at an average of 10 days each. Um, and it makes my commute much better yeah. traffic. I don't care. Me too. I got a book. I'm good. Me too. I'm right there with you. I, I don't know what I'm, my current count is, but I know that my wish list has gotten ungodly when it comes to, uh, because I keep remembering series that I've always wanted to read, and I always never had the time, like the Da Vinci Codes type ones. Okay, I'm really looking forward to getting to them. Um, they're all next in my queue, unless um, that I decided to go down a, a what I always call a candy a candy book, where it's a good book, but it's just garbage. <laughs> no nutritional value. <laughs> yeah, there's no nutritional value to the book. The Hard Luck Hank series, th- that's exactly what they are. They're candy books. They're they're fun to listen to, but there's not much to them. But yeah. I um I like I'm not into dragons and and wizards. Mm-hmm. So I see lots of you 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 need to try the Lords in the Mist series. It's 10 books and it's amazing. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm going to nod off during that. It's just not just not my thing. But if the dragon is a spaceship, and the wizard is an engineer, I'm sold. And, right. and I totally recognize it's exactly the same storyline. Mm-hmm. Sci-fi and fantasy are, are exactly the same. There's either the bridge crew or the wandering ragtag group of people in the, in the forest. It's exactly the same people. And it's either a magic spell uh, that's been cast over the land or a new death weapon that's being right. built. Um, and it's either a dragon that has to be slain or it's uh, an enemy that has to, you know, a, a technological monster that has to be uh, destroyed. But for some reason, 
the the fantasy stuff just doesn't do it for me, and the sci-fi does. It you change a few verbs, and I'm 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 there. <laughs> that, that's where you might like the Hard Luck Hank series for candy books. There, it's space driven, but it's like it's spacey, but more uh, like mobster. Okay, type books. See, my favorite is real science as best we can, extrapolated beyond what we know. No, these um, are more mobster, but in space type books. The Hard Luck Hank series. So, might right, be worth one it. last item you have put here, Chris. You have expensive taste. What's that about? Oh, I have very expensive taste. Um, <laughs> I've been looking for a a new handgun to go play with um, for many many months, and my buddy and me have been trying different ones, trying to figure out. You know, I, I told him I want to go with a forty five, and then so he's got a couple that we went out shooting, and I just haven't been able to find a gun that I like the feel of in my hand. So today he calls me down to the store and he goes, you need to try this one out. And he hands it to me and I'm like, okay, that's all right, but it's not, it's still not what I want. And so we, we, he handed me, I think six more guns that he looked at before he called me down and he goes, this is the one I'm figuring for you. And I picked it up and I'm like, now this feels great and it's perfect. And he goes, yeah, you have the most expensive taste I've ever seen. It's a $1,900 gun. Does it fire gold-plated bullets? <laughs> no. No, it doesn't. Thank goodness. But um, it, I never realized how expensive of some of the forty fives can get, and they get pretty expensive I, it's, pretty it's quick. It's funny. I hear, I hear a portion of our audience just being turned off in disgust <laughs> at the discussion of handguns and weapons. You know, the, um, the more European, the non-U.S., and, and the more liberal in the U.S. Ah, oh, the barbarians, but two Texans and a, and a Montanan, sure. What yep. else would you talk about? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, my, we see, we, we originally got my wife a, 40, or a 38 because she didn't want a 45, and she loves a 38. So it's like, all right, now it's my turn. It's my turn to get a gun. You already got yours. All right. Let's move on now to our listener feedback. William says we're missing out on a gold mine. Oh. Greetings to all. Shows are great as always. I did want to revisit Nudicles for a moment. I don't think you should be too quick to dismiss a money-making opportunity. Think about this. I'm constantly seeing new applications of stuff, cell phone chargers, etc., that are charged using small amounts of heat. I've seen a couple were incorporated into a dust-type mass and another in a sleeping bag, both to harvest body heat to charge small devices. Think about it. Nudicles that incorporated heat-activated charger, a micro SD card and reader, Bluetooth or Wi-Fi capability, and you could build an own cloud network on the hoof or of your various pets. Not to mention the even larger storage available with steers and horses if you're a rancher. Why should you sell storage space? Uh, 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 why you could sell storage space and it would be self-sustaining. Think about it. Slap an EDL brand on that and go for it. <laughs> nice. And scary at the same time. <laughs> Cybernetics for all, including um, our pets. The The problem with that is that nobody has a herd of bulls. Um, sorry. You may have steers. Plural, but you don't have a whole bunch of bulls. Um, yep. And but uh, if they can the, make money selling storage space on those bulls, <laughs> they might. They just that, haven't pointed it out to them yet. The capitalism involved. <laughs> That's right, because it's all about the capitalism. So, William, you took it down. You took it down a road that even we didn't go. I salute you, my friend, for that. Um. 
Will, different guy, not William Will, uh, doesn't think Mark is wrong for a change. Yay! Whoa! <laughs> what? Says, hey, guys, I'm going to step out of my usual comfort zone and correct someone other than Mark. One of your listener feedbacks last week, uh, I don't know when last week was when he wrote this, uh, said that Linux Mint has a standard download uh, for a version that does not include Kodaks and whatnot so that the users can make a choice for themselves. While this download does exist, there are a few problems with what he said. One, if it's not standard, uh, it's not the standard or default download. It's an alternate alternate download that is easily overlooked. Two, they don't claim anywhere that this download is available to facilitate any kind of moral or legal decision. It's only available for people who will be installing with a CD rather than a DVD or USB. Uh, the ISO is only 600 megs, so it'll fit on a CD. But the first thing it will do when you install is start asking if you want to install all the codecs, codecs and whatnot. So uh, Will just wanted to set the record straight. Um, I, I'm not going to weigh in either way. Um, well, information we've already, has been delivered. We've already been down that road a few hundred times, so it's nice though for somebody else to be told they're wrong. <laughs> um, Nick says he's really not creepy. Uh, he says, "Hi, Mark. When I heard of this, I thought of you in a, in a non-creepy way. Of course, I drive an hour every morning at five a.m. to work, and on my way, I listen to Forensic Files on HSN on Sirius XM. Okay. This morning, advertisement there. Uh, this morning was a particularly good episode. It was about a two thousand three murder in North Carolina of a thirty one year old female. By the time the body was discovered, all that was left of her body was bones, making it hard to get a DNA profi- profile." Um, the lab uh, the body was taken to wanted to do a superimposition and forensic image comparison, process of taking a known picture of the victim and placing it over an image of the skull using software to identify facial features that match the person to a skull and identify the body. <clears throat> the software and equipment to do this runs about $35,000, and the lab could not afford that. The director of the lab talked to the computer guy on campus. It was at a college university, and he mentioned a free open-source application that may work, GIMP. To test it, they took pictures of themselves and placed it over an image to see if the facial features matched the skull, and of course it didn't. Then they took a picture of the victims that was taken and while she was alive and placed it over a picture of the skull in GIMP. The facial features had obvious ties to the skull found. By using GIMP, it gave the investigators a name to go off of for the victim, and in the end, they solved the crime. thought it was interesting. I studied digital forensic science in college for three years, and if you're interested in this particular episode, yada, 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 uh, it's on Amazon Prime. Uh, uh, anyway, the power of sharing knowledge is amazing. So good old GIMP solves crimes. Sweet. Um, it just goes to prove that it, GIMP's worth it. Yeah, at that point, you it sounds like they wanted anything that could overlay images. Uh, but that's <laughs> quick, quick aside. has nothing to do with anything. But uh, I was at a meeting at church today, and the executive pastor said somebody made a request for an overhead projector and thought that, you know, that's an antiquated piece of equipment. Who uses an overhead projector anymore? And I got to thinking. When I was in the schools, we had overhead projectors everywhere mm-hmm. in the form of a document camera, an $800 document camera connected to uh, a uh, $300 uh, signal converter running through $50 worth of cables going up to a $500 projector that shot the image on the wall. So we spent roughly $2,700 to make a $300 lamp with a magnifying glass. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't say it was smart. That's what we did. Sometimes old technology is still the solid way to go. But anyway, it just made me laugh. Uh, GIMP is the same way. There's $35,000 worth of equipment or GIMP with a t- uh, an opacity fader. Problem solved. Yep. Kind of spooky and crazy how that all works. And our last bit of listener feedback, Joe, says I've given up. 
says, Mark, I'm sure that Mrs. Neves is a wonderful lady, and I, too, hope she had a happy birthday. Chris, I don't know if you know this. We named our title, uh, the title of our show when you were gone, Happy Birthday, Mrs. Neves. Hoping yep. she hasn't remarried or something and it's not actually Neves anymore. But anyway, uh, well, I'm sure that uh, she's a wonderful lady, and I, too, hope she had a happy birthday. However, after listening to your rant about glitter on Easter eggs, I think you missed a rare opportunity. You could have named the show Glitter Herpes. I mean, come on. How often do you have the choice to work Glitter Herpes into a conversation without it sounding forced, much less memorialize it on the interwebs by using it as a title? It's like you're not even trying. I was Jeez. afraid this was happening. You get some sponsors and some Patreon subscribers, and you start coasting. It's a shame, too, because your transitions are getting good, better than good, like artwork. I hate what success has done to you. <laughs> keep up the, well, just keep making podcasts. <laughs> Regards, Joe. Awesome. Well, uh, Joe, uh, I don't think we could ever probably force <laughs> glitter herpes into a conversation, but way to go on making us do it. <laughs> Joe, I apologize. I have failed. Um, I I take full responsibility for my lack of glitter herpes as a show title. As you saw, it was an obvious opportunity that I passed up um, uh, because I, I I wanted to spend more time with my family, uh, and I felt that it was an it was important for me and my career choice to pass up this opportunity. Um, and uh, you know, there, there there's no more I will say about no no questions I'll answer at this time. <laughs> anyway. Um, speaking of transitions, I have no way to get from Glitter Herpes to Linux Academy, so I'm just going to do it. LinuxAcademy.com is... Uh, if you don't <laughs> want Glitter Herpes, you should... Oh, wait, we probably shouldn't tie them to that. Yeah, there's just there's no way to do it. There's just no way to do it. We need a buffer zone, so let's talk more about nudicles. No, that wouldn't work either. Uh, uh, Bluetooth? Just, I expect to get an email from Anthony any day now saying, cancel our future ads. Um, oh, just, no, Anthony, just not worth it don't. If you want to uh, avoid Glitter Herpes... <laughs> I tried going that Maybe. way. It didn't work. Yeah. About, no, it doesn't. It doesn't okay. work. No. LinuxAcademy.com is your <laughs> place to to take you from being a guy who knows some stuff, uh, a, a Linux novice or just a, an, an uh, intermediate computer user, to a Linux server administrator. That's their stated goal and one that they are achieving on a daily basis. Uh, people are are passing certifications, becoming uh, certified professionals, getting new jobs, all because they started, took the first step, going to linuxacademy.com and signing up and seeing what's there. What's there? Hundreds of video courses. But it's, it's so much more than that. It's not just uh, videos thrown up on a website that you watch about how to do things. Uh, it's videos with, with side-by-side companions with the PDF study guides so that you can see what's, what's going on. It's this amazing lab in, infrastructure where you get... Um, uh, up to eight different distributions, four of which can be running simultaneously with with IP addresses, talking with each other, uh, interacting with it. You can you can SSH into a real server uh, on the very first lesson and start your your journey down the the road to Linuxdom uh, using real stuff. But it's in a safe environment. It's on it's virtual machines on Amazon's uh, uh, web services, so they're super fast, super reliable, uh, super super. I'm going to use super a whole lot. Um, and so you can you can tear one up, you can destroy it, and rebuild it in a matter of seconds and keep going. Uh, beyond all that, there's there's customized learning plans. You decide what you're going to learn, when you're going to learn it, and they they support you. Nobody else. You're not going to get that anywhere else. Nobody else allows you this kind of control over your learning. Other places say, this is a course I have. Watch this. Or these are the offerings I have. Go do this. Or on Tuesday at 7 p.m. we'll be doing this lecture. You better sign up. 
Linux Academy doesn't do that. They they put the buffet table in front of you and say, eat what you want, when you want, and we'll support you in your journey to change your life. LinuxAcademy.com. Go there and change your life. $25 a month is your basic rate. It's the most you're ever going to pay. Uh, if you want to uh, buy three months at a time, a quarter, it's $65. So a $10 discount right off the top there. If you buy annually, it's $215 a year. That breaks down to just under $18 a month. $18 a month for something that could change your life. There, there's no reason not to do this. But when you go to linuxacademy.com slash everydaylinux, you get a special price break on that. You don't even pay what we just told you. Uh, the, the, I'm not going to say specifically what the break uh, discounts are because they're constantly in fluctuation as I flog Anthony and say, we need to get lower prices. And then he says, yeah, but nudicles. And I say, okay, I understand. <laughs> and now, so and now he's going to bring up glitter herpes. So <laughs> Yes. Um, so that's all I got to say about that as far as Gump would say. So let's jump right in from, from, um, Linux to, uh, the worst place on earth. I, transitions just are not f- coming for me. I'm sorry that there's no artfulness. There's no good way to get out of, of that. But, uh, this was, uh, an article that Seth found, uh, titled the worst place on earth, but it got us thinking about the overall concept of, uh, yeah, devices are shiny and new and cool. But there's a dark side to all that. There's a price being paid for all that. So uh, I, I've remarked many times about my Nexus 5, which is just a year old, um, and I'm already jonesing for the next thing, wanting to get a OnePlus One or a, or a, a, a Nexus 6 or whatever because cause it's better. Does Will it do anything that that I don't have right now? Probably not. It'll have a bigger screen, maybe a faster processor. Is this phone in my hand lacking any features? I don't know. I don't think so. It does everything I need it to do. Um, why do I need a new phone? I don't. I don't need one. I want one. And the odds are in the next few months, I'm going to be on this show talking about my new phone because the techno lust is strong within me. Uh, it's strong within everybody. I, that I can do about it. You know, not everybody. Some people get their, you know, their Galaxy S3 and rock it until it dies and then get the whatever the phone company will give them. But, of course, guys on this show, guys and girls who are listening to this show, are, are all into the techno lust. But there's a price to be paid for that. So let's talk a little bit about that. Do consumers have a, uh, any moral responsibility at all? Is, do we, is it incumbent upon us to even be aware of what's going on so that we can get these cheap little devices? We, we essentially want the best stuff cheap or right. free. Right. We want the phone company to give us a new iPhone when we walk in the door. Um, a, a device that is super engineered. It, it is a supercomputer of just a few years ago. Um, and, and some of the best, most advanced technology on the planet made by somebody who's making a couple of bucks a day or less. Um, and, you know, and we don't, do we care? No, we've demonstrated we don't care, so we can answer that question. The question I'm asking is, should we care? Do we, as consumers, have a moral obligation to care about where our stuff comes from? What do you guys think about that question first? That's a deep one. Um, yeah, I think we should have some sort of a care, because if if we don't care up front, why would we care when we're done with it? We want to, you know, the whole recycling movement that everyone been pushing. Um, it should be both sides, and you don't see very many people saying on how their their device is you know made cheap it's cheaply made but yet made with non-slave labor or 
You know? Well, there's no such thing. You can't have both of those things. Right. The only way to have a cheap device is to have near-slave labor. Exactly. And, and this, that's true of your iPhone and your Nikes. Or your T-shirts. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things that it, because of our demand for cheap and or cheap and quality um, equipment or, or clothing or even the the cookware you use, um, we we want it to be cheaper and cheaper, and it's got to somewhere's got to pay for it if it's got to. And that's but by, by the way, it's not new. Uh, in no. eighteen thirty seven, one hundred percent of sugar, cotton, and um, um, what else? Probably sugar, tobacco. Cotton, tobacco was was created by slave labor that industry did not exist without literal slaves we're, we're using this the virtual slaves or wage slaves these were literal humans owned as property mm-hmm. so that people could have cheap sugar and cheap cotton um and th- so this isn't a new problem uh nor is it specifically an american problem uh but sh- is it time we outgrow this seth what do you think on the subject I mean, it is time we outgrow it. If you think about it, the only reason that there are places like this and, you know, guys, a lot of times we just talk about stuff and it's all fun and hopefully there'll be some, you know, jokes and good conversation out of this. But take a few minutes and go read this story. Um, basically, it's a reporter who goes to this place in China where things are met and, you know, you see just the pollution flowing through the streets and into the lake that maybe used to have fish in it or something at one time. But, you know, culture, advertising, you know, Apple. I mean, I love to pick on Apple. I love to pick on Apple fanboys, but if you, their whole reason that for their comeback is look at this shiny new bobble and you must have it now. And for whatever reason, the American public went, I want one and then just and flock to it. And they've been riding on their coattails ever since throwing out, Oh, look, now this shiny bobble is shiny on both sides. Oh, we added a third side and look, you can get it in blue now. And it just, it, it's so easy. I mean, America, we abandon our manufacturing and infrastructure. So the stuff isn't made here. So it doesn't, you know, and if you want to go there, it's like in China and they don't let information like this out. And so we've put it out of our heads. We can't see it with our eyes. So we can pretend it doesn't exist and just go buy the latest and greatest thing. Um, so is, but is this a, a, um, a natural byproduct that we have to grow through. So in the U.S., as you said, we don't manufacture much anymore. Uh, it's a huge uh, uh, import uh, um, ratio. But that wasn't always true. Right. So you go back, again, uh, you might have to go to the 18th, uh, 1800s, early 1900s. Everything was made in the U.S. It was too expensive to import things. Uh, you know, cotton, again, tobacco, these are things that we exported uh, in huge things. And these same problems existed then, right? So uh, you, you the, the rivers in New York running black and catching on fire. The, I think it was in Chicago where the river cut, caught on fire because it was so polluted. Uh, killing our own people because we're dumping industrial waste uh, up uh, d- upstream from the uh, civil uh, uh, water intake. Um, these are problems that we had to go through. China, at this point, it's more. They have land; it's a huge place, mm-hmm. and they have people. What they don't have 
is economic resources and money. So right now, their government and their people have made a decision to um, deal with slave wages and toxic waste in order to get money coming in. America made that choice, too. Um, and we we dealt with that mess, and we had to clean that mess up. And the way we cleaned it up was not by manufacturing better, but by moving manufacture to Mexico and to Taiwan and, and to China and to you know other places. Uh, maybe you can't clean that up. Maybe it's not possible. Maybe the byproduct of manufacturing, whatever you're manufacturing, is always you know uh, that the po- the poorest people pay the price for the richest people. Um, maybe you can't fix that. Um, That's I don't know. Thought. I mean, would anybody would anybody want to go back to the agrarian life of of eighteen oh seven and give up all that we've got? in favor of not enslaving people and of not um, uh, polluting waters. Does anybody actually want that? You know, uh, I'm not one. Environmental activists go home to their air-conditioned apartments uh, and walk on uh, uh, chemical-produced carpets and put on uh, shoes made in Mexico uh, by uh, child laborers. Uh, And and they, they are the good ones among us. Right, I'm not calling them hypocrites. I'm saying that the life to live the life that we live in America, you have to stand on the back of somebody else. That's are t- we okay with that? Obviously, we are. Should we be? I guess is the better question. Well, but I've, the other question is, what, what's the other that? choice? I mean, obviously, America in, in general has made the choice that it's not going to be in our backyard, so we offload it to everyone else. But is there is it a lack of funding to make these things not? Fun, you know, is it funding? Is it knowledge? Where where would we find a way to make things cleaner, more more? Uh, well, to 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 quite let's quote something from this article: the the worst place on earth. Uh, they're they're mining rare earth elements. Uh, neodymium, one of the mm-hmm. ones they mentioned by name. Um, it, that's a misnomer. Rare earth elements are actually very common, uh, but what they're hard to get to, and the process of refining them is highly toxic. And you produce, you know, a thousand to one ratio of toxic garbage to refined product, um, which has been the case for other manufactured products as well. Um, and at this point, there is there's no cost benefit. If you spend the money to do it safely and cleanly, it's no longer something that I can get cheap right. and throw in a phone. Well, but not only just the toxic waste that we that we are generating from all these rare earth metals and and everything else, we also should talk about you know the the draw on the human person. You know, like um, we we I noticed when you guys put in the notes about the Foxconn suicides and the things they do to keep their workers from you know ending it. So, I mean, that's another thing that's just as bad when you when you're talking about slave labor, the fact that they're forcing people to work. You know, either by contract slash, you know, slave labor or. Right, well, well, let me let me stop you there because the Foxconn story. Th- there is a, a line different. of people at the door at Foxconn every day looking for a job. Mm-hmm. Okay, and again, if you're going to draw a parallel, you've got to draw it to uh, the American Great Depression, where there were soup wines and people uh, uh, went from being rich to being homeless. That's the parallel you've got to go back to. And these okay. dock workers working uh, in the steel mills and, and working, you know, wherever they were working, they didn't care if at the end of the shift they might not come home. 
it was, you know, say it's 50-50, you come home with $10 to feed your family uh, for a month's labor, or you don't come at home at all. There's no downside there. Your life sucks so bad yeah. that you're willing to die. But- that's that's the parallel that we draw in China right now. So Foxchon living conditions are, are terrible by American standards, but there's a line of people waiting to get in the door. Right. But it's, but you're talking about the same type of problem. It's not just, but now it's not toxic waste. Now it's human life as, right. as being what's being thrown aside. And that's just as bad. Um, I have friends that work, you know, up here, and I'm sure everyone knows about the Bakken. You know, that it's a giant oil field that everyone's been drilling and sucking gas and oil out of. Um, it's not a, it wasn't a safety first place. And I, I know lots of people that got, you know, hands cut off or, um, family members that had people that got burned. It's the same problem. Once it moved to being a safety first mentality, now the cost of, of getting that oil out of the ground is gone. The cost has gone up over the, the, what they're selling it for. So it's not quite as safe or it's safer, but we're still, it's still going another way. So, right. So you traded, um, at the cost of life for the cost of economics. You traded mm-hmm. dollars for human life, which I want to say is the morally right thing to do. And whenever possible, you should trade dollars for human life. How much is a human life worth? Exactly. Right? And, and people make those decisions, insurance companies especially, make those decisions all the time. Um, but having said that, you know, from, from my comfortable uh, high horse of moral superiority, there is no way I'm going to pay $2,000 for my next phone. There's no way I'm going to pay $1,800 for my next uh, laptop. And that's that's what it costs. When you switch the human capital cost for for dollars, that's what you're talking about. You're talking about um, you know seventeen dollars for a gallon of gasoline, and you're talking about um, uh, eight eight hundred dollars for a cheap Android tablet. Um, when you when you clean things up to the point where you're no longer uh, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for subsidizing the cost with with human lives. Well, but here's the thing. Let's say, for example, let's say it triples the cost. And when you're talking about millions and hundreds of millions of units, you could say triple the cost is ballpark of what it would actually be. But if you go from buying one every year to buying one every third year, you haven't traded anything. You're still outlaying the same amount of money. It's just you don't have the latest, greatest, shiniest bobble. Um, Except that. Uh, let me stop you there. Because if we followed that model, the company wouldn't exist the next time you needed the product. Companies can't exist selling one product every three years to to a person. No, and I was, I was going to go there and say, but at the same time, if you stop buying it, then those companies don't have jobs. And so it's, you know, it's easy to take a position on either side and hold the moral high ground. Right. It, it, so it, which which is the greater tragedy? To employ a six year old Taiwanese child for a dollar a day or to not employ that child and have him have no way to support his family. Yeah. Which is the greater moral tragedy? Yeah, that's and that's the horrible that's the horrible truth about the economic wheel that we're on right now. Yeah, because it it's like you know if if you take it into the realm of finances and 
anybody in the realm of finances has heard of David Ramsey. And his thing is don't buy anything new. Always buy something used. Save, save, save. Live like no one else. So later you can live like no one else. But the problem is if you don't buy anything, then people aren't selling stuff. And if people aren't selling stuff, then they don't have a job. And then there's less people working and consuming goods. So there's less need to consume goods. So by saving everything you have and hoarding all of your cash for some future day, you've created the problem. But the same token, if you spend everything you have now, you don't have anything saved for a later day when there's a problem. So if we buy these cheap things now, we're destroying the world. But if we don't buy these cheap things, then the world suffers a different kind of destruction. Yeah. And so. and I think we've proven we've we have enough human history behind us to to know the the way we're going to go. We can talk about the way we should go, but there's also the way we're going to go. Right. We're going to exploit those with less power mm-hmm. to get what we want. And and you can even be more general. The strong are going to exploit the weak. Human nature yeah. has proven that. You know, America was the weak person until we said, let's try not being weak anymore. And then we became the strong. And in some ways, we've given away that strength by sitting, you know, on the couch, binge watching and binge reading and binge listening to movies, televisions and books on tape and books printed. And so another country is saying, hey, let's try being the strong guy. And we're laughing them off. And all of a sudden, they're going to be the strong guy and then we'll be the weak. And so it's not like oh you know it's we americans have proven we're bad people people have proven they're bad people throughout history um and and there can't be there can't be no weak person right history has proven that there can't be no weak person as india rises somebody else has to decline right As china rises somebody else has to decline um where is that right now it's like south america and the middle eastern that those are the people on the decline but it's going to be the west it's going to be uh uh the uk and the us and and that's what's going to decline if the trends don't reverse you know and it, it, it may not be in our lifetime but that's the way we're going right they're going to be the ones exporting their toxic stuff to the us because those americans will work for a couple of dollars a day mm-hmm and and maybe we deserve it. Maybe that's the proper way to take the moral high road, to look at it as long as the pendulum swings, justice is served. I, you know, I don't know. Yeah, but it's, it's if, hard you, to if say. you scroll if you scroll the time zoom out, right, and you look at thousands of years instead of tens of years, the pendulum has swung all over the globe. Yeah. And it will continue to. And and when you're the Roman senator, you're on top of the world and you think that's the way it should be until the Huns come in and say, no, now we're on top of the world and you serve us. If you're an American and you're on top of the world and you're thinking, well, by divine superiority, this is where we are, um, except that every repressed nation has thought that, you know, every mm-hmm. nation that was on top and became on bottom. When you're on top, you think you got God and you've got right and you've got morality on your side. Um, and it's easy to think that because things are going well for you. And it uh, goes to, and it also goes to prove that you know you have been reading a lot of history books. <laughs> uh, um, so the 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 reality is, I want my stuff better and cheaper, and I don't see there's no moral argument you can make that's going to make that untrue. 
It's just not. There, there's. I'm always going to want that. Uh, I'm not going to buy cruelty-free chickens. I don't care. I'm strong. They're weak. I don't care if you're cruel to a chicken. They were born so that we could eat them. So what? Who cares what their quality of life is like? They would have had no life were they not if there weren't uh, Kentucky Fried Chickens. Sure. Right? You want to save the spotted owl? Open a Kentucky Fried Spotted Owl chain, and there'll be so many spotted owls we won't know what to do with them. It's kind of depressing when you put it that way. <laughs> you know uh, that, that. Okay, scratch PETA off the potential sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> I think we we lost that sponsorship a long time ago. It's just amazing how things can how some of the things that you take for granted, you know, like a, a nice big TV. That unless you think about where was it made and made it was manufactured, um, that big TV, even though it's only four hundred dollars, probably cost someone years of their life. Right, it's four hundred dollars of cash from your wife, uh, from your wallet. Plus a human life, or Th- that's years the way to look of at. years of someone's right. human life. Because I don't think anyone's going to lose their life. One, you know, every TV is equal to one life or whatever. It's it's years of their life is what's being sacrificed. I mean, you go back, go back to the pre-industrial age, um, and you look at some of the cathedrals that that exist in Europe. Um, six generations of stonemasons built that stairwell. Right. That like this this eight feet. From from here to here, from step one to step sixteen, that's that was my life's work, and step sixteen to step eighteen was my son's life works, and step eighteen to step thirty seven was my grandson's life work. Um, that that's the that's the everything every manufactured good has been somebody's life work, mm-hmm. right? So now we measure it in in tenths of of an existence, a tenth of a second, right? But still, you know, when you're in Foxconn, uh, if, you, if you're Foxconn and you're in China, you you take out the the average amount of the of life that you're taking from people, whether you're compensating them uh, uh, accurately or not, or what you consider um, morally or appropriately, uh, you're still, you know, some some number of lives were given when you aggregate them all up so that you could have a phone. Right. Um and and or a computer. You can you can, or... you can lower that ratio by giving them better lives, right? Henry Ford saw that. Henry Ford said if I make my people work 40 hours a week, give them 2 days off, my production increases. It was a business decision when he invented the 40-hour work week. Uh but prior to that, you know, you just worked all day every day like they do in China now. Mm-hmm. So he made a business decision to make a better product to have a better workforce, but it cost him money. He had a better product that cost more. So in the, you know, he started with the model T, the model a, it was the everyman car. They, they got more expensive as he started making his workforce better. Uh, and that's, that's, that's always going to be the way it goes. The iPhone will get more expensive and, and the Android phone and whatever, as Foxconn makes lives better for their, their employees. And at some point, you find that the market just can't handle it anymore. We won't pay that much, so we go back to oppressing someone else. Right. What's What's interesting is when you look up that the Foxconn, and I'm just bringing we we keep beating on Foxconn, but it's it's probably just not them. But when no, you look, definitely not. When you look at the there's a Wikipedia listing of everyone, and I don't know how accurate this is, but it seems to be, you know, fairly stable. It doesn't have a whole lot of edits to it, um, but they list out the 
people and what age they were for the suicides. And it's amazing that most of the ages are in their, you know, mid twenties or younger. It's just surprising that, you know, that why, why would somebody think that at, at age 23, that it's, it's good. It's, it's because you look around at your life and say the next 40 years is this. No, right. thank you. Right. So what can we do to make life better for people? I just don't know where to, where to even start with that type of a thought. But man, it's just crazy. I couldn't, I, mean, you, I couldn't maybe see myself you, that way. Maybe the preppers are right. Maybe the way to do it is to turn back the clock 300 years and own a parcel of land and be a subsistence uh, farmer and exist only on what you can create, have no surplus and have no deficits. Um, is that a better life than the one I'm leaving now, living now in suburban Atlanta, surrounded by dozens of technological devices? I, better, how do you measure it? That's a tough one. Right? Certainly not more comfortable. Right. Yeah, what's what's your definition of a good life? Um, that's what it comes down to. And, and maybe maybe our definition of a good life is staring at a computer screen all day long. But someone else's may be, you know, tilling the land or herding and, cattle. And then... And then you fast forward to Wally, where we're pin, uh, bowling pin shaped humans who <laughs> spend their entire lives in hover chairs. I mean, that, that's a realistic expectation of how humanity is going to evolve. Yeah, it's a sadly. little spooky. Seth, you've been uncharacteristically quiet. What do you have to say? You know, I'm just, I'm thinking about all of this. I mean, I thought about it a little bit. But then we've kind of tweaked the conversation and what the article is about. And I mean, I, I look at my house. I look at my stuff. You know, I don't even think about the really the surplus computers I have because I was going to fix them up and resell them. Um, but instead they've just become electronic junk around my house. But I mean, I have a Windows 8 tablet. I have two separate Android tablets, both the exact same tablet and I have a laptop. Do I need all of those? Of course not. I don't, I mean, you know, okay. I mean, I have the laptop instead of a desktop for times I want to do real work or, you know, um, but, and then I have a tablet just because it's easy and I can lay on my bed and hold it in one hand and not like keep putting it down on my belly, my big fat belly from I do that too much. But, you know, I have so much junk that I waste and, you know, people, so I, the problem is the the greed in the individual multiplied to a societal level. That's what causes the problem. The advancement in technology, I don't think, is the issue. I think it's the greed and the glut because we we binge on tech. And then when we're satisfied with this tech, or satisfied is the wrong word, when we're bored with this tech, we need a new tech that doesn't really do anything new, but it does the same stuff in a different way. And so then we go and we, we don't even say, Hey, I'm going to buy this thing. Let me turn around and I'll give you this or I'll sell this to you cheap. It's just like, eh, I'll just let it collect dust or I'll just throw it in the trash. Uh, and right. just so when I was growing up, we had the junk drawer in the kitchen right. that had screws and nails and, and various things. I have a phone drawer. That's how times have changed. Yeah. I'm not that bad and, yet, but it's getting there. And just counting 
devices with a microprocessor in it, devices with a CPU of some kind. I am currently using 12 of those to produce this show. Yeah, I could see it. I mean, let's take do that do with that what you will. But when you talk about opulence, 12 devices are are necessary. Podcast listener as you're listening. Oh, and so I'm going to add three each for Seth and Chris. Probably maybe just two, but we'll say three. So there's another six. So 18 microchipped containing devices plus the one that you're listening to us on, 19, went into this podcast. And are you counting the router and the firewall? No, I wasn't even counting that. Okay, so, and and that's just, and we're not talking about the infrastructure to get it to your property where it becomes yours. But yeah, so, you know, you've got your router, maybe your router and firewall is the same thing. Um, But then you have one, at least one device, and I carry a second device with me in case my primary rig goes down, I can pull out another one and and keep the show going, you know, just, well, because... So now we're up to like 27, 28 devices necessary to bring you a free podcast. What is the cost of this free podcast? Yeah, it's a... When you consider the human lives that went into making this free podcast, you're a jerk for listening. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and we're a jerk for producing it 189 times. We're evil. No, it's, it's horrible. I don't want to feel evil now. <laughs> this is the last episode of Everyday Linux. <laughs> I'm depressed. I mean, it's, you know, but it's it's like I said, there isn't an easy answer. Because if you just cut off... Let's say, okay, that's it. We're not going to buy any new technology for five years until everything we have breaks and we can't fix it anymore. Well, then all of a sudden, what the supply chains that feed to the finished good, those shatter and people who used to go to work now don't go to work and they have to turn to a different type of exploitation to survive. You know, instead of them being exploited for cheap pay, you know, then you have gangs of people who steal, rape, pillage, and plunder because they're hungry. And that's not good. So, you know, I mean, do we want, do we want a, a wasteland of industrial sludge, you know, slowly engulfing our planet or do we want you know half crazed packs of wild animals that used to be human looking for some scraps of food and just destroying isolated pockets of civilization they come across that's oversimplification on both sides but navigating the middle between both of those perfectly the human race has demonstrated um not the capacity to do that yet. Maybe one of these days we'll learn from our mistakes, but I didn't know. Yeah. So somewhere right now, as you listen to this, there is there are a group of men in suits in a climate-controlled environment drinking either artificially uh, heated or cooled beverages, uh, coming up with a business plan to improve the uh, infrastructure of sub-Saharan Africa to the point where they can exploit it. Right, so right now that is a an untapped natural resource because we the infrastructure is so low that it can't even be exploited yet. But that's where it's going to go next, right? China had to get to a point where we could exploit them. They weren't there in the seventies, right? J- Japan was doing all the manufacturing in the seventies. 
So they had to they had to build up their infrastructure just to be exploitable. Think about that. That's the goal of some people in sub-Saharan Africa right now. Their goal is to rise to the level of being a wage slave. Yes, yeah. That's because uh, weird. Yeah, once they get there, you know, how do you because then the next level is parity and then the dominated become the dominators. There's this quote right. um Charles F. Keatering says, The world hates change, yet it is the only thing that has brought progress. So exactly. you know, otherwise we all die at thirty because the you know, the saber toothed tiger killed us because whenever we fell and broke our leg, we became the weak link in the chain of life. Right. So raise your hand if you know somebody who died of dysentery. Anyone? Bueller? <laughs> no. Yeah. But you go back a hundred years and everybody knew somebody who died of dysentery. Right. So it uh, the, it all depends on how you define the term better. And as I'm as we've had this discussion, I'm liking the idea of the pendulum that justice is achieved in centuries and not in decades. Just and that Americans Americans have been exploited and will again be exploited. And so that that all you people who hate Americans because we're we're fat and rich, just know that our time is coming. <laughs> Eventually it'll go the other way. Wow, this was a wide-ranging discussion about one article, but yeah, uh, I think it was great. All over the, we went all over the board on that one. Um, I love it when we do this. I, <laughs> audience, tell me, tell me what you think. If you hate this, then we won't do it. That's not true. We'll continue to do it. We'll just uh, turn on the the uh, Gmail filters a little tighter after we do one. I would like but to no, have I more people. You think. I'd like to hear if we had more people on the on a topic like this. You know, uh, with a metered conversation, so that way we want not one person eats all of the time. But I'd be, it'd be interesting and, and kind of fun to see other personalities and what they thought of what this topic is. So download the Element OP app from uh, the Android app from our website and comment like crazy on that thing. Let's make this be the show that launches the app where uh, where the comments come in. Um, little plug there. Hmm. There you go. Uh, so we, since we went, so I, I told the guys before we started, we could either go, uh, there's two ways we could go in this. This could have been a five minute conversation where I said something and they both said, yup. And that was it. <laughs> or it could have been an hour and we're, we're heading into the latter. Uh, so we're going to go back and pick up just a couple of the news stories, uh, that, uh, that we think are most interested, um, and this last one sounds interesting, Seth. Maybe democracy is overrated in a digital age? Uh, yeah, this is an Ars Technica story. It is about a super insecure e-voting machine that is just, I mean, it's easier to hack, apparently, than not hacking. Um, like I say, it's an Ars Technical Ars Technica article that came out this month. There's one quote, and this is from somebody um, who was involved in the project where they were like, how secure is it? He's like, has one of my um, colleagues taught me, bluff, bottom line up front, if an election was held using the AVS win vote and it wasn't hacked, 
it was only because no one tried. The vulnerabilities were so severe and so trivial to exploit that anyone with even a modicum of training could have succeeded. They didn't need to be in the polling place within a few hundred feet, i.e. the parking lot is easy, and within a half mile with the rudimentary antenna built using a Pringles can. Further, there are no logs or other records that would indicate if such a thing ever happened. So if an election was hacked any time in the past, we will never know. And this is a machine that was in use for 10 years, and it had such um, hard, ultra-secure passwords as admin. A, B, C, D, E, and Shope, which was the previous name of the company, hard-coded into the machine. So Hard-coded. <laughs> yes. So wow. you didn't have to guess. You just had to, like, access the machine and go C dollar admin admin. You know, let's see. And then, like, you're in. And then you can look at the database. You can manipulate. You could delete the database and substitute your own or go in and just um, manipulate it. So, you know, a dead guy voted 1,700 times. And even though there's only 15 people in the town, this challenger won by 87 votes, you know, um, or something like that. But and the thing was, this this is a um, this is something that has been used apparently super recent in Virginia and Pennsylvania and Mississippi in the not too distant future. And, you know, it's one of these things. It, I, I have used that machine. Really? In the picture there. Wow. I have used that machine. I never wow. have. Of course, we're still I, filling out paper ballots in Montana. So, yeah, Fruitvale does paper ballots, but they have some type of scanner that scans them so they don't hand count. Um, and that's just, but. I like the idea of paper ballots because then you can look, does the paper match the total uh, if yeah. there's a recount? But, um, but yeah, so you've used this exact machine in the picture. Yes. Oh, that is awesome. And it wasn't updated in over 10 years. Think about that. 10 years. I mean, that's pre-XP service pack two if you go back 10 years. That's ridiculously insecure. By any standards, I mean, I would be able to hack this without even trying, and I'm not a hacker. But I like uh, how he, polling I like, places are peopled entirely by honest people, so we don't have anything to worry about. Definitely. Right. <laughs> I love the the last art, the last little gray box about this, about how how you could overdo the uh, how you could hack the election, and it, he literally lists it out one one through nine. And you have yourself a, an election. Oh my gosh! Figure know. out the WEP password. Not even the- <laughs> which which <laughs> took about eight seconds. Wow. In, in the whatever company it was gave it to him. That's funny, but, but that's WEP. That's not even that wasn't industry security. Two seconds after it came out, it was exactly not even WPA. WPA two. And then with it, holy crap, WEP? <laughs> Wireless equipment protocol. Wired, equi- yeah, wired, wired equivalency wired. Uh, protection. Yeah. Wired um, equivalency which, protocol. WEP yeah. was what it stood which for. Is, which is true. It's a, the, it's a, as secure as a wire plugged into a communal hub yep. in Grand Central Station. A hub. Absolutely. Yeah. Plugged true. into a hub. <laughs> yes. With sniffing ports pre-set up. <laughs> But oh my god, that's just I hope I'm wrong. I hope that this machine 
looks a lot like a machine I've used. I really want to be wrong. Um, well, no, but, wait a minute. Here's, yeah, how, here's how it is secure. Use Microsoft Access to add, delete, or change any votes in the database. There's like five people in the world that know how to use Access. So <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's Obscurity. not quite as insecure as we thought. <laughs> Security by insecure, uh, obscurity. Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> I'm... I'm I'm stunned by the I mean does any is this surprise in anybody? I mean, you no. can't make something as important as choosing who's is in power uh over an entire nation secure using electronic measures. It, it just you you can't. The best engineers are not in business. They never have been. The best engineers are working contrary to business. Mm-hmm. Um so I, as much as I love technology, I do not believe that there will ever be a secure um, electronic voting system. However, the paper system is way less secure. I think that I think that a that we can make a system that is more secure than paper, but we'll never have it perfected. Just humans can't write perfect code. Right. Well, there's no such thing as perfect code because there's always going to be some glitch. Well, somewhere. Jesus could come down and write code. If Jesus coded in 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 you know copycon program.exe, um, it would be perfect. Uh, but other than that, if you're depending on humans, there's going to be a problem. <laughs> yep. Where where can you go with that? That that pretty much. Yeah, you just can't go there. Yeah, it, it, you just ended it. Next topic. <laughs> you remember the old joke about Jesus and Satan were in a programming contest? Have you heard that one? No, oh, I, I haven't. I actually, I haven't heard and, this one. They they had a contest to see who could program, and there was a power power failure, and only Jesus saves. Uh yeah. Okay, <laughs> I like it. That's good. All right, so <laughs> sacrilege aside, <laughs> Seth, tell us what happened this week in history. Okay, this is a really cool one. Um, let me scroll down here. April the 22nd, 1993, version 1.0 of the Mosaic web browser is released. This week in history. Pretty big deal in the uh, whole internet-dominated technology landscape that the world has become. It was that late. I thought thought Mosaic had been around longer than that. So prior to that, it was uh, Lynx and Gopher and the text web. So Mosaic brought the graphic web to the world in as late as 1993. Wow. 93. And then, yeah. And then it exploded. And we have what we have today. They invented the concept of the little scrolling window up in the top right corner. And for that, they should be shunned and hated. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Because that thing, that that finally went away. But, you, you, you know, today the minimalism is the way we code. Um, the content is up front and the Chrome, the, the window decoration is minimal. That wasn't always the case. It used to be that, you know, uh, well, it used to be Microsoft office, um, <laughs> where, where the, the interface is primary and the text is secondary. You use Microsoft word on a small screen and you cannot see what you're typing because the Chrome is three quarters of the screen. Right. Chrome and then you have Clippy coming on every five seconds. I see you're trying to make a Word document. Would you like some help? Yeah. Uh, it's one of the. There's a whole group of people who don't understand death to Clippy. 
There, yeah. yep. I think we've lost something, but maybe in this case, that's not a bad thing. <laughs> so um, one of the books I read recently, Year Zero, there's a bit about that where uh, I, I don't want to ruin it because it's such a funny moment. I don't want to ruin it. But Clippy makes an appearance in that book in the best way possible. It's um, it's they they end up taking something super important that really would literally change the galactic fate of or the fate of the galaxy and accidentally ride it through Clippy. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, okay, so what else? Uh, Seth, your show-closing spectacular of the week. What do you have this week? Well, this one actually ties in really well with the topic of the week. It was, um, this is a Vox article. Travel time is the forgotten breakthrough of the past 200 years. And so if you scroll through here, it shows you um, from New York how far you can get in, say, 1800. And there's like a line for one day, two days. And basically by five weeks, you can get to the Mississippi River. And then it goes into 1830s and it takes two weeks to get to the Mississippi River. And in 1857, you can make it to the West Coast in like four weeks. And then uh, in 1930, by railroads, a couple of days, and then um, by airway in a in you know less than two Hours. days. So it's kind of cool, um, you know, just because you know you think like, well, I drive 70 miles uh, one way to work um, in 1800. That would take me an entire day to get there or longer. Actually, yeah. it would take a lot longer because uh, I would be, well, I'm, I don't know. You might could do 70 miles in a day using like some type of stagecoach or something like that, but you definitely couldn't do it every day round trip, uh, mm-hmm. for long periods of time. So the, uh, the church, the community where my church is that I go to, uh, it's called Noonday and it's named after the Noonday Creek, which got its name because it's half a day's ride from Atlanta. Oh. <laughs> That's kind of uh, interesting. So if you if you set out from Atlanta at first light, you'll be at Noonday Creek at the middle of the day. Hmm. Um, and I live f- ten miles north of that, and make that drive, you know, more than that in twenty minutes. Huh. So what what was more than half a day, uh, I do in twenty minutes. Again, sorry, going back to the fall of the Roman Empire book, I was just reading. One of the things that they talked about was uh, what it took for the Roman army to travel. And uh, when they were at their best in around 200, 300 AD, uh, the fully mobilized Roman army could move five miles in a day. Wow. Because uh, that's, that's, that's what it took. The men could go faster, but their support couldn't. Right. So, and, and then they had to build basically an encampment at the end of the day. Right. So there was, and the encampment had to meet specific standards to be a Roman encampment. And it would take like several hours to do. Yeah, and the the uh, Mongol hordes, on the other hand, would do ten horses per rider, and rotate his riders around, and could travel a hundred miles in a day. Huh. So, because he was lighter and faster, and carried almost nothing with him, versus the Roman army. Of course, a Mongol uh, horde hitting a Roman army would have to be hundreds to one in strength. Right. So it was worth it for the Romans to do that. But anyway, it's just interesting that you bring that up, just as I had just read it like yesterday or the day before. (laughs) Hmm. 
it, if we and what's that gonna, what's that graph going to look like like today right you can get on a plane in new york and 7 hours later maybe less be in los angeles oh i don't uh, think today. it would take that long would it take that long i thought it would be i, I don't know i honestly I'm, don't know the answer i've never looked let's see and that may be counting time zones, right? Maybe, maybe that's why I'm I'm looking at it that way. If you're heading east, you add three hours. Um, but yeah, it doesn't. I mean, we can drive across. I mean, a friend of mine did it on a motorcycle uh, in 24 hours. He went from coast to coast on a motorcycle in 24 hours. Um, he's he holds the record for having done that on the smallest motorcycle ever, a 250 Ninja uh, CC Ninja. Uh, but anyway, that that's 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 where we are now. Where are we going to be in my grandchildren's lifetime? Hey, Mark. Well, just so you know, five hours and forty minutes. Five hours and forty minutes to go from LAX to New York. Okay, nonstop or seven. So I wasn't too far off. Well, actually, that's that's, that's New York to LA. It would be less from LA to New York because you would have the jet stream behind you. Anyway, okay. So <laughs> fascinating. Three hundred dollars. Three hundred dollars, yeah. you can do it. But what does it take in human life to be able to do that? Right, the technology that goes into that machine, the fuel, the you know, fuel the, alone the would blood be crazy. money that bought the oil, right? So it's while we're marveling at what we can do, we we sweep the cost of it under the rug. Yep, and we will continue to do that. No amount of browbeating will change that. We could come on the show and preach at you for two hours every week, and it wouldn't matter. We That's what the environmentalist similar. lobby, those people don't seem to understand. It doesn't matter. We, we acknowledge that you're right, people. We, we get it. We just don't care. In one way, it's almost worse that we've outsourced the manufacturing because we're not, we're not confronted with the reality of our opulence right. um, yep. on a daily basis. So it's, oh, it's over there somewhere. Oh, you know, there's starving kids in China. So, right. you know, we're helping them by giving them some jobs um, versus, you know, if, if it were here and it was like, you have to do that. Oh, my gosh. Uh, we're friends. I can't let you do that. So I'm not mm-hmm. going to do this anymore. But, yeah, I mean, so it's just. It's crazy. Interesting. I don't know that this is going to lead to the change in us that the uh, it's time to contribute to open source did. So, uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. So, audience, what do you think? Let us know by going to elementopi.com. Click the Contact Us button at the top of the page. Fill out that form. That will send an email to me, and, and we will uh, read your discussion on the if you think i have failed uh because i didn't use the phrase glitter herpes uh in this show let me know uh you could also send an email to edl at elementop.com uh or you could uh, have your voice right alongside mine by calling 559 i uh that uh, gets you to our google voice box leave us a message and uh, we will play it on the air uh also the app i encourage you to do that go to elementop.com click on the forums there's a whole forum dedicated to this new cool app that is in in the in the beginning stages um, and we're, I'm seeing, you know, right now it's a small core of people. It's six, seven, eight guys. Uh, we need that to grow. I really want it to grow uh, because every time somebody comes in, the value increases that much more. So you generate the value to the show way more than we do. I don't know if you know that, right? So Seth and, and Chris and I, we, we're the talking heads, but you generate the value. Your comments, your questions, uh, your um, 
you know, your input is what makes this show what it is. We just have the luxury of being the ones giving voice to you. So do that more. Let us know. Uh, we, we live and die. We're not going to die. The, the show lives and dies by your comments. At, at the, the day you stop commenting and stop downloading, the show will stop. Yep. Right? You are literally the life of the show. So uh, don't take that responsibility lightly. Tell us about it. Tell others about it. Rate us, review us on whatever. Uh, and most of all, uh, if you enjoy the show, tell people you do. So that's all I have to say this week. This was certainly not a typical show, but an interesting one. And I hope you enjoyed it. Let me know one way or the other. But for now, that ends this episode of Everyday Linux.